0: Our gospel lesson this morning is going to come from John's gospel, from John chapter 14, verses 23 through 29. And I invite you to stand as you're able, in body or in spirit, for the reading of our gospel lesson. Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything. And remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You have heard me say, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it when, it, when it occurs, you may believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <clears throat> the first car I ever owned was, uh, golly, I don't even know what gear it was. It was, um, I'm going to guess it was a late 80s, perhaps, I, I got my I got my license in 92 or so. So, I mean, I guess it was in 88 or 87 or 64 or something really old. Uh, Pontiac Le Mans. I don't know if if any of y'all remember the uh, beautiful Pontiac Le Mans. I called it a turtle because that's kind of what it looked like. And, uh, you know, obviously it was a used car. My parents bought uh, from Day Motors in Macomb. Any of y'all from southwest Mississippi know about Day Motors. My daddy was a truck driver. And, they, and and I think Day Motors did a lot with truckers. So that was where my daddy trusted. So that's what we bought. So they bought me this, um, this old car, you know, because that's what you want your first car to be is something terrible. Because I'm going to tell you why you want your first car to be something terrible. Uh, because I couldn't drive. Over, the state really needs to check on this because they gave me a license. And that was a terrible idea to give me a driver's license. So I wrecked that thing so many times. Like, and it got to the point that my parents said, now, thankfully, because the Lord looks out to fools and children, I never, I never had a major accident. I just had so many little fender benders, just ridiculous. And to the point that my daddy said, okay, if you wreck it again, we're not getting it fixed. You just got to deal with it. Okay, cool. So let me tell you how I ended up my senior year of high school. I ended up my senior year of high school driving to Boca Chita with a car that had a bumper literally held onto the car with bailing wire. Because I hit, I, I wasn't paying attention one day, and I was driving to a friend of mine's house, and their house was in a curve. Uh, I, I went through a curve, and I didn't really think, and I just kept going. The curve, the road went that way, and I went that way. And I saw a trash can, one of those big wooden trash cans, and just tore my bumper clean, clean off. So I drove home my bumper ha- dragging home, and Dave said, well, okay. And he got the bailing wire out, and we Tied the bumper together, attached it to the gas can, that little, little screw in the gas, tan, a gas tank, rather. We attached it that way, and I drove the rest of the senior year with my, with my uh, bumper attached with baling wire. I think I may have had a headlight that had duct tape involved in it somehow. So any, anytime I hear the expression, something's held together with baling wire, I always think of my car. I always <laughs> think of that first car I've had because I, w- I wish this was a funny preacher story, but it's not. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> My first car was held together with bailing wire to, for, for, for a long time. I think of things. Today, today is Mother's Day. Um, you, know, and, you know, I've got to do the obligatory buffer before Mother's Day sermon, but it's not just obligatory. It's true. Um, Mother's Day is not always an easy day for us. You know, I have dear friends who this is their first Mother's Day without their mom. And that that hurts. It can be painful. I have friends who would love to be moms. and are unable. And I think one of the the mistakes we can make as the church sometimes is we can sometimes want to tie everything up in a bow and make everything perfect. And that's not always the way life works out. And, And sometimes life is hard. And sometimes we don't get our wishes granted. And sometimes our prayers, as the great theologian Garth Brooks once said, sometimes, you know, God has unanswered prayers. And that's not okay, but it is. God's love is not just shown to us in the times that are easy. And God's love is not just shown to us in the times of health and wealth and prosperity. But God comes to us on the mountain, on the valley. God comes to us in exile, like the Israelites in the Psalms. God comes to us in times of brokenness and reminds us that, that even when life is difficult, and even when there is pain and tears and brokenness, that God is still God, and that God is still good. And that God's love is not absence. Just, just, God's love is not absent from us just because pain is present with us. And God loves us even in difficult times. So for those of you today who, who grieve, even on, who, who maybe celebrate and grieve at the same time, you know, celebrating your children or celebrating your mother while grieving the reality of this day as well, I say to you, God is, God is there. God is there. And I think there's much that we can learn about Mother's Day and family today, particularly from the passage we read. So as I, as I, as I, as I was thinking about my car this week in my preparation for the sermon, I began to think about what are the things that, if this bailing wire is what held my car together, what are the things that hold our families together on this Mother's Day, this celebration of family? What is it that holds our families together? And, you know, there's a lot of things. I mean, primarily, for those of us around here and for most families in general, I mean, we would argue blood. What's the old saying? Blood's thicker than Water. You know? And and yeah there's something to be, you know, you got you got to love the folk you're kin to because they know all your secrets. So, you got you got to love them, you know? And there is something beautiful about the biology of family. There's something precious about the love of a brother our sister, siblings. There's something beautiful about that. There's something beautiful about the love for a biological mother or father for their children, or vice versa, the, the children for their parents. It, it is a it is a beautiful thing that that um that can't be diminished. You know, as I tell people, I thought I knew what love was till we had, then we had children, and then I realized when we had kids, I had no idea what love really was because you realize there's nothing you love more than your children. It's just it's not possible. Outside of my love of God, for me to love anything more than I love my kids. So that's beautiful. But family's more than blood. Because husband and wife aren't blood kin to each other, except in parts of Alabama, you know. No offense to our Alabama friends. I was going to make a Lloyd Star joke there, but my wife's coming to late service, so I didn't make it. Um, you know, but there's a great love there. And then what about families with adoption? But there's no blood connection between the parents. What about foster families? Things like that. What about, dare I even say, in laws? Love transcends that. You know, I'm I was biologically, I was adopted by my father. My I am no blood kin to any stoddards out there in the world. I'm not biologically a stoddard. Yet that is my last name that I passed on to my children. So family is bigger than Blood. Well, maybe family's bound together by loyalty. Because um, you know, there's a lot I'm a big fan of loyalty. Loyalty is one of the greatest virtues I think a person can have is to be loyal. You know, I think there's much we can learn from the great theological works Godfather one and two. Uh, there's much there's much to be said about loyalty. Loyalty is a very good virtue. But that said, there are things that we're loyal to in our life beyond family. We're loyal to sports teams, we're loyal to colleges, we're loyal to Musicians were loyal to whatever. Loyalty is a good thing, but loyalty is not as well the bond that binds our families together. So what is it? What is the bond that binds our families together? If it's not blood, if it's not loyalty, what is it? I think Jesus gives us great insight in the passage today. And in fact, not just in this passage today, but really, if you, if you, if you begin to read John's gospel, not in sections or in chapters, but kind of read it as a whole, you'll see that Jesus begins a discourse in John chapter 13 that continues all the way up through the cross. So honestly, to really understand what's happening in John 14, you need to see it as part of the whole that goes back to John 13, but then continues all the way through John 17 and John 18 and John 19. So this is is a continuous passage that Jesus has. And what's so interesting, what's so interesting about this passage here is that Jesus uses language of family... In fact, if we were to have read all of chapter 14, we would see chapter 14 begins with that famous passage that you know so well. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. That, that beautiful passage of how Jesus is going to prepare a place for us in our Father's home. So we see over and over and over again in John 14 going back to John 13, going forward to John 15, this, this, this language of family, this language of family that Jesus chooses, he chooses to describe his relationship with his father, but frankly, because of that, our relationship with him and our relationship with the father. We see that Jesus really does cast this journey that we're on as Christians in terms of family language. So just think about it practically. You know, we as Christians will call each other brother or sister, don't we? If you come from a more informal church tradition... What do you call the preacher, Brother Andy? What do our Catholic brothers and sisters call their preacher, Father? It's kind of confusing me being a Methodist, but wearing a collar. I get called Father sometimes, and I'm just, I usually don't stop folks they start confessing. And then when they start confessing, I'll stop. Okay, we're good. You know, we're, I'm good with you. You're good with me. Jesus is good with all of us. We can just stop right now. But we use the language of family, don't we? We use the language of family. So that's why I think it's so important for us to see what Jesus tells us what this family should be like. Next week, I'll be in Intersection preaching, and Beth will be in here preaching in Traditional. And our passage next week is going to be some of Jesus' great words about the New Commandment, where he says this, that they will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another, that we see that the birthmark of our family connection as brothers and sisters is love, that it's love, it's love that binds our families together. It's love that expands our families. It's love that ties us together as brothers and sisters. It's love. And, y'all, I think one of the things we need to think about when we think of love, I really like what Kate said this morning in the children's moment. Um, It's one thing to say you love somebody. It's another thing to actually act like it, to actually show your love. I love love what C.S. Lewis says to the effect of, let us not so much seek to love one another, let us actually love one another, and then we will find that we actually love one another. Love is not just An emotion, That's. I think part of our struggle we face in this modern world is we attribute love with emotion more than love with dedication or sacrifice. And family, family, y'all, is tied together with action. I think the loving, sacrificial action is the bond that ties our families together. It's the mother who is near the point of exhaustion with a newborn who gets up. And feeds that child when she just wants to sleep. It's the it's the the father who sees that mother's exhaustion and seeks to help. It's the it's the child when life has gotten scary and worrisome. They're sick or afraid who they cry for. Mama. Mama. It's that love. It's that sacrificial action. As parents, think of how much that you have sacrificed for your children. Frankly, probably a time you didn't even really like them. But you sacrificed for them because you loved them. You didn't do it for praise. You didn't do it for credit. You didn't do it because of the expectations. You did it because you loved them. And likewise, think about how you as adults, as your parents get older and life gets hard. Think of the way some of you put aside career to care for your parents, put aside trips to care for your parents. These are not things necessarily to brag about. This is what family does, does it not? Like, this is what we do. This is what family calls us to. This is what it means to be part of family. This is what it means to be part of community. This is what it means to be part of that loving community. And so I think we see within that as family that command to do that. But I think as Christians, we see that the modeling of family is so important to our life together as Christians because, remember, faith takes on the language of family. God is our Father. We are brothers and sisters. We have language of family within the church. In the same way, in the same way, in the same way that families should love one another, we as Christians should seek to love one another. And that does mean sacrificing for each other. And that does mean caring for each other. And that does mean being there for each other. Even, Even, frankly, y'all, when we don't like each other. Because your family is deeper than your affinity sometimes, isn't it? Some of you probably have a black sheep in your family, or maybe some of you are the black sheep in your family. There's a song I like uh, by uh, a band. Called, it's called The Funeral. It's a story of the prodigal coming home for a family, for the funeral of his father. And it just deals with all the unpacking of that. And the song ends with his mama saying, why does it take a funeral to bring you back to town? But even though the prodigal had wandered off, you know what the prodigal still was? Family. Because that bond was not broken. That bond was not blood. That bond was not loyalty. That bond bond was love. How was that bond? One of my favorite stories is uh, some of y'all my age or older remember Louis Grizard, the great Southern writer. Those of you who are younger than me who don't know Louis Grizard, and, 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 Google him. Go, go read. He's a great su- Southern storyteller, just, just a great writer. And um, Moreland, Georgia, that's where he grew up. Loved his mama. Had a little bit of, if you remember Lewis Gazzard, had a little bit of marital issues with his, um, I don't remember how many times he got married and divorced. And so because of his marital issues and his, um, for most of his life, his lifelong drinking, and his mama dying, he found himself alone. A lot on the big days, Thanksgiving, Mother's Day, Father's Day, a lot of the days he found himself alone. He tells this beautiful story in one of his columns that I read later in a book about finding himself at some rundown pool hall outside of some little dirty town in Georgia. And, you know, with his proclivities, he went there for one reason. What he found there, it was Thanksgiving, what he found there at this pool hall instead of a raucous party was a group of folks sitting around the pool table eating dinner together. Because this pool hall was a bunch of misfits that kind of found each other. And they had become, for each other, family. Some had no family. Some had lost family. Some had been separated from family. And there in that place, they found family together. And I think that's a beautiful image for what our families can be. When we love each other in spite of difficulties, our problems, our challenges, our separations, our hurts, our pain, because some of us right now, as much as you love your brother or sister, or your mom or your dad or your children, there's some stuff you might need to forgive them of. If, we're, if your family's anything like my family. And likewise, there might be some stuff that you might need to ask forgiveness uh, for. if your family's like my family, because we're human. But our love for family is not based upon the perfection of the individuals in the family. Our love for family is based upon the love that we have for one another. And that love ultimately calls us to sacrifice for one another. And to be there for each other. And to care for each other. And to, and to, and to, sac- and to give to each other for the good of the family. Family is uh, interesting and a beautiful thing. But Love. Love. Love is what holds our families together, and love is what holds our church together. Not affinity, not agreement, even, but love. And y'all, frankly, if we don't feel love for each other, you know what the secret to that is? Serve one another. And pray for each other. I read a great quote that I shared on Facebook recently where it said, it's hard to curse someone for whom you have just prayed. It's hard to hate somebody you just served. If you feel your love growing cold for your family, if you feel your love growing cold for your church, serve. Serve. Do something. As Kate said in the children's moment, don't just say you love, but act like it. Don't just say you love, but act like it. Because when we act like it and we start doing it, you know what will happen? We'll start feeling it. So we do something. Love, love is that bond that ties us together. My wife has, um, has a, uh, a birthmark on her, her arm. It, it's funny, it's, it's, it's been a constant Joke in, in, our, in our family because uh, her birthmark is like on the back of her arm, and it looks like it really looks like um, somebody grabbed her there. Like it looks like, you know, like somebody just jerked her up by the arm and kind of squeezed her too tight. So one day years ago, we were in, um, I think it's when we were in Ripley, we, we were, the kids were a little bitty and they were at a swimming party, and Holly was in the pool swimming with them. And, and her birthmark was kind of showing, you know, and one of the moms pulled her aside and said, Hey, is, is everything okay? I see that bruise on your arm. Is everything okay at home? It's like, oh, yeah, it's a birthmark. It's fine. You know, besides, Andy would be afraid. He wouldn't do that. But can't hide that birthmark, can you? Think of some famous birthmarks you've seen throughout the years. Think of Gorbachev with his uh, right there on the head. You can't hide birthmarks. They were given to you by birth, and there's nothing you can do about it. Love is our birthmark. And just as our birthmarks are given to us by birth, our birthmarks as believers was given to us in our new birth, in our second birth, in our conversion. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart and we understand God's great love for us. We are marked by that birth. We are marked by that love. We are marked by that family. So today, friends, if you have a a family, thank God for it. Remember the old Bear Bryant commercial? Call your mama today. I wish I could call mine. If you're blessed enough to have a mom living, call her. If you don't have one, I'm, I'm grieving for you, and I'm sorry. Love your children. Love your moms. Love your family. But love each other. Love each other. For what our world needs now, y'all, are a holy people marked by God's love, living out God's love in a world that is divided and full of rancor and bitterness and hatred. What if the world saw our birthmark? What if, our lo- what if the world saw the love of Christ shed abroad in our hearts throughout our world? How could that change things? We've been blessed with family, y'all. We've been blessed with family. May we love each other as Christ loves us. Let's pray.